Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matter to all of us. Hi there, I'm your host, Jordan Rich. Today, the focus is on the human beings, the people who make their career in law. The law school students, the lawyers, the clerks, the judges, the DAs, only recently have individuals and organizations started the important work of helping people navigate stress and mental challenges. We've assembled a terrific panel to address the issues of lawyer well-being, an important issue. With me today is Amanda Rowan. She's an assistant clerk magistrate with Lowell Superior Court and co-chair of the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Well-Being Committee. Also joining us, attorney Rebecca Green-Neal in private practice with her own personal story of burnout, and how she overcame it all. And rounding out the panel, Dr. Sean Healy, clinical psychologist with Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers, also working with the Lawyer Wellbeing Committee of the Massachusetts Bar Association. So many men and women of all ages in the legal field are struggling, but there is help. Start with you, Amanda. Give us the mission statement of the Lawyer Wellbeing Committee, if you would. That is a great question. So um, the MBA Wellbeing Committee is a group of humans who are very committed to causing change and changing the culture in this area. Um, we have a group of people, most of which are lawyers, who are committed to addressing everything from stigma, which is Sean Healy in my area, to civility, to well, just any permutation that you can think of. We've got people that are committed to diversity equity and inclusion. We've got people really that have boots on the ground that are working on all of the biggest issues that appear to be affecting lawyer well-being right now. And as you said, there are many. So it is a big job and we are lucky that we have a lot of team members on this issue um, from the SJC Wellbeing Committee as well. Um, and it's just a group of people who collaborate and help each other on these issues. And I'm so grateful to be part of it. Welcome to a new era when we're free to talk about these things and not covering it up and, and doing what so many people did in previous generations. Rebecca, let me turn to you. Tell us about your role in this group and, and what impact this has had on you. Sure. Uh, Amanda asked me to participate in today's podcast. I'm a private attorney. I've been practicing for 16 years. I've had several jobs in the legal field, um, the longest of which has been having my own solo practice. Um, I'm a litigator. I'm also a um, collaborative attorney um, in the domestic relations space. And so I've had my experience with burnout. I've had my experience with practicing in a way that tries to mitigate burnout as well. So that's my role here today. Mm -hmm. You're also a mom and uh, people have lives beyond people have lives beyond the office, although it doesn't seem like you can fit it all in at times, hence burnout. Let me turn to Sean and we really appreciate you being here as well and we're going to have an open-ended discussion here. but Sean, in your work as a clinician, this is more the trend today and it's a good trend that people are facing up to their issues and not just trying to cover them with, whatever, alcohol, drugs, call it what you will. Share with us a little bit about your experience. Thanks. So my work with uh, Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers sort of puts me in the, the center of lawyer well-being in Massachusetts. And so, um, like you said, uh, there has been some encouraging changes over the years in terms of people's comfort 
talking about well-being, their struggles, you know, imperfections. Whereas, you know, years ago, the focus really was about projecting that perfect image of the competent lawyer and, you know, no weaknesses and, you know, invincible. And, and we've seen the, the results of that. And it, it leads to, to very negative outcomes. Um, right. And now, now we're starting to see, particularly in the younger generation, law students and, and younger lawyers being much more comfortable talking about the need for accessing help and sort of being vulnerable and like being human as a lawyer, which is a unique idea. I wanted to ask if the law schools have really taken it upon themselves to change the paper chase model, if you will, <laughs> the idea that uh, it's so stressful as medical school, too. I mean, we all know the hours that students put in. Amanda, what, what are your thoughts? Are the th schools getting the message? I'm really glad that you asked that. And um, addressing law school stress, et cetera, is also part of our committee. We actually have people that are specifically assigned to working with law schools to try to help when it comes to well-being. Not too long ago, one of the, um, we talk a lot about the ABA report, the SJC report, and now this most recent NORC report, but there was actually a law student well-being report and it was not good. And it was actually really sad um, for me to read because this is our next generation. And it was very clear that they were suffering in many, many of the same ways that we are. And so I can say that there has been some positive change in that area. I can say that members of our committee and others are making a point to address it, even at the orientation level. Mm. Um, I do wanna say that um, Shailani George um, and others, specifically she's at Suffolk Law School, are addressing these exact issues in law schools. But, you know, it is a grassroots and new area. So I think that there are probably some schools that have a better um, handle on it. And I think that there are some schools that probably still need a lot of work. So that is definitely an area that is young and growing, but definitely deserves attention for sure. Sharing is a great gift. What, uh, how did all this manifest itself in your life? We'll start with you, Amanda, the stress of the legal work. So that is a great question. That is a big question. I remember um, I started as a victim witness advocate at the Middlesex District Attorney's Office and loved it, like loved it, and decided pretty quickly that I was going to go to law school at night um, and become a prosecutor. And um, I can tell you that that life for both prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys um, it is a very stressful life and it is a life that is filled with trauma and graphic photos mm. and graphic testimony and stress carrying out the mandates of the constitution. These are very heavy burdens on both sides and it's exacerbated by low pay and it's exacerbated by financial stressors that come as a result of that. And it's exacerbated by law school loans um, and ruined credit. And really it affects every area of your life. And more than that, we also on top of all of those wonderful 
ingredients have this work hard, play hard mentality. And it is very common to have a situation where you celebrate um, your wins and you cry for your losses or grieve your losses or whatever it is, um, drinking. That is a very common experience. And so as opposed to learning healthy coping strategies in these crazy environments in hindsight, it really was go to the bar for many of us. Um, I was working specifically at one point in the child abuse unit, which is pretty much what did me in. Um, and I was looking at some pretty horrific stuff um, and listening to some pretty heartbreaking stories from kids. And um, I was receiving zero mental health support um, through my work. Now, I was working with state troopers who did the same work. And my understanding from them and the local police departments is that there was some level of mental health support for those people. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say it was necessarily enough, but it existed. It did not exist for me because the implied understanding and sometimes expressed was, if you can't do this work, if you can't handle this, you don't belong here. And so there was a lot of back and forth between feeling like I was doing something very important, feeling that I had been given the gift of this assignment, feeling like I was doing good work, but then also feeling that I was struggling and that there was no one that I could talk to about that and that I was in an environment where it was stiff upper lip, get over it. Um, or you don't belong here. And so that, that was a very difficult struggle for me. And so, um, you know, vicarious trauma is something that 60% of active Massachusetts lawyers reported in the NORC report. And I really want to highlight that um, because that led to some very unhealthy coping strategies for me and many of my colleagues in this system. I think that as a result, of seeing a lot of pretty terrible things and hearing a lot of pretty terrible things and all of it, all the time, every day. Um, for me, it led to some really unhealthy coping strategies. And for me, that came in the form of alcohol. And um, I got to the point where my drinking was out of control. And I don't think anyone would have confronted me on it. And I think everybody thought that it was acceptable and normal, especially because I had the sheen of being a lawyer and a mother and a wife and I looked good from the outside. I could have gone on forever that way um, until, you know, something terrible stopped me. But thank God, um, on September 9th of 2012, I was struck, I don't know, honest or enlightened or my denial dropped for just long enough that I was able to get help. And I have been in recovery ever since. But I feel like um, mine is a voice that can help people and mine is a voice that is unique and my calling and mission at this point is really to address these issues and help the people who are still out there struggling and help the culture and the community to be one that supports people speaking out, being honest and getting the support that they need and not getting to the point that I did.
Well, first off, we all congratulate you and support you, and we're all in this together as a human family. I'll go to Sean in a moment, but I would love to give you, Rebecca, an opportunity to talk about, quote-unquote, burnout. It's got different meanings for different people. What did it look like in your life when you encountered burnout? I remember my second full-time legal job, you know, out of law school. I worked for a legal aid organization, and I was um my son was less than one year old and my first son and um i felt as though i just couldn't do anything anymore Mm -hmm. i hit a wall and i thought i can't i can't do this anymore i can't work um i just can't function and what contributed to that was you know this was to this day my legal aid job happens to be my second favorite job ever, you know, aside from my current job, which I love. Um, I love using the skills that I got to use every day as a legal aid lawyer, helping people. Um, It was so rewarding at work. Um, And I learned so much about practicing law that I've carried with me for the next decade, two decades. Um, But the environment there was really challenging for me where I hit that wall as a first in my first year of motherhood. Um, the expectations were unclear. The goalposts were always changing for how I could close a case. I would write a closing letter. It was never enough. I always had to add more before I could close that case. Before I knew it, I had, I don't know how many cases were on my docket at that point. But I didn't have support to say, that's enough. We can close this case. (laughs) All it was was a letter. And yet the burden of having that case open on my shoulders was a lot. It was a mental load. They're really inflexible schedules. Um, People might think that legal aid is a cozy job, a cushy job. But we have timekeeping requirements at legal aid because we have grantors that want to know how much time we're working on our specific grants. And so unlike billable hours, where you might get um, an expectation of an annual billable hour from a big law firm, we actually don't have those numbers. We didn't, at least at the one I worked at, of like, what, what billable hours do we need for client time? No, we had, you have to bill, you have to time keep 40 hours that week. And so, you know, all your bathroom breaks, all your lunch breaks, all your breastfeeding, pumping breaks are your personal time. And so there I was pumping for my infant um, on my own personal time. And for any new mother who's ever tried to pump, um, it's stressful. And if you are struggling and if you are in a stressful job, it's going to take you more time. And then the more time it takes you because you have to make up that time at the end of the day, it's going to be even more stressful, right? It's going to take you more time. And because the schedule was inflexible, literally I had to have my butt in the chair during work hours. And if I wanted to take off early on a Friday, I would have to obviously make up the time earlier that week. That's an under, that's understandable. But I couldn't do that two weeks in a row. I couldn't take early Fridays off um, two weeks in a row. That would violate some sort of union contract or something. Mm. If I, if it was, if it seemed to be a change in my schedule, 
I mean, this is just the minutia of what what this inflexible schedule looked like at legal yeah, aid. Yeah. And these are the minutia that weighs on um weighed on me. Uh when you have an infant who is in daycare full time getting sick every other week, you need a flexible schedule. Um when you're breastfeeding, uh flexible schedule is so important. And yet here I was, I felt like uh this place was not made for me. But at the time when I was in it, I could not see that 10,000 foot view that maybe it's the place, maybe it's not me. You know, I was three years out of law school thinking, oh my God, maybe I can't do this. Maybe this, maybe I'm the problem, you know, and that's really hard to think, oh gosh, maybe I've chosen the wrong career for myself, but I, I had it. This is, this, I love doing the work. It was, it was this environment. And here I am helping people in poverty and there were no self-care uh, opportunities mm -hmm. at the, at work and the role models from leadership. They were all far beyond burnt out. Um, they were all working mm -hmm. far beyond expectations that are reasonable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were not modeling self-care for employees and at that one-year mark, I, when I said, I don't think I can do this anymore, and I was ready to just quit out of desperation, I um, engaged with the employee assistance program for just three sessions with their therapist and concluded that I really needed to apply for a new job. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for a transfer to a different office. And I remember... And I got the job. It was a transfer. And I remember thinking on the brink of going to that job, what if the problem is me? And I go to this new job and I discover that nothing changes because I am not the right fit for these jobs. I'm not a good lawyer. Um, and that fear was really holding me back from making a set that significant change because I didn't know what was normal and from all the stories that I heard about being a lawyer, it kind of seemed like this might be normal and what I should be expecting. And what was I going to do if this is what being a lawyer is like? Um, thankfully, when I transferred into that new, into that different office, I uh, got into an environment that was not like that <laughs> in many ways. It still had the timekeeping requirement, but it did not have that, those changing goalposts. I had a boss who I knew would have my back no matter what the outcome of the case I, I worked on as long as I was working hard. And if I felt like I needed to appeal a case, she was she said, well, I'll, yeah, of course I'll support that. You know, I mean, that's those little things. Yeah. Feeling like your boss has your back. Getting positive feedback. Oh, my gosh. Um, when you're in an environment where all you hear is negative feedback, you never hear anything positive. It takes such a toll. Um, I never got an evaluation at that job that first year. Um, and so even if somebody thought I was doing a good job, I never heard it. Um, and so it was those little things, right, you think, that right. just add up. That's what started me on the road to understanding that there can be environmental reasons for burnout and that there are things that I can control that'll put me on the path towards a happier, 
relationship with my job because at the end of the day, this is my job. This is not my life. Indeed. Um, and ever since then, I've paid attention to my work environment. Uh, eventually, I believe about seven years ago, I started my own firm because I found that I could not find an environment that was conducive to my work-life balance. Thank you for sharing as well a, a very heartfelt story and a very real story. And Sean, let me turn to you. Um, there are logistical cement roadblocks that people have to face at work, particularly in the field of law, so many of them that Rebecca and Amanda have, have commented on. But I'd like to have you address the warning signs because both of our friends here talked about it creeping up on them, and that is often the case. So what should the attorneys and anybody in the law and students be thinking about, a tip sheet, if you will, on what to look for, what to be aware of? So I think uh, Rebecca's story is a great example of what burnout looks like. Uh, Amanda referenced the NORC report, and one of their findings was that 77% of lawyers reported burnout. And uh, from a uh, clinical point of view, I could look at that and say, like, well, you know, maybe that's not quite accurate, depending on how they define burnout as, a, as the people answering it. But really the point is that that's alarming even if people use the word burnout in a sort of casual way, people identifying that much burnout is, is alarming. But what Rebecca was talking about was that that's the, like the clinical definition of burnout, is when you are in an environment where it's a, a, a chronic, chronically stressful environment where you're lacking you know, encouragement, support, resources, you know, the, the goalposts changing, like that's a great recipe for feeling out of control. It's like if, if things are clear, and then I can adjust. But when, when things are ambiguous and I don't feel like I have control over the important things in my job, then like your stress goes up. And over time, burnout can can uh, could be the 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 outcome. And when you're experiencing burnout, um, I've heard it described as like you're out of gas. Like it's not like you can just take a break and you know, move on, you know, take a long weekend and feel restored and go back to work, right? Like it's a chronic state. So like to, to Rebecca's point of like, you know, when she was going for that next position, worrying, what is, is it just me? Because that feeling of burnout is constant, right? So like you have a nice weekend, but you still feel that way. And it's natural to feel like, well, is this just me, not my job? Because I'm not at my job right now. But I'm still feeling this way. And so burnout is, is really persistent. And when you're lacking that, that energy because of burnout, it's really hard to, to do the work of, you know, exploring new options, yeah. you know, to, to make changes. And so in terms of, uh, back to your question, Jordan, about, you know, a tip sheet, like what to look for and, and sort of be aware of, um, I would say it's to, to new lawyers as well as seasoned lawyers. If you're in a uh, position where it feels like um, you're under-resourced, um, where you don't have the support, either the tools or the encouragement or the clear guidance of supervisors, where the, the work is really stressful and it's draining on you, but you don't have uh, adequate resources or habits or, or routines to, to sort of fill you back up on a regular basis, and you feel like you don't have control over things that are important in your work, that's a great recipe for burnout. So 
the opposite is is the the tip sheet. It's so important for listeners to this podcast particularly to know that uh, it's okay to ask for help. The great news is you start healing as soon as you ask for help, in my opinion. Do you concur? Absolutely. I've often used the phrase that a, a burden shared is a burden lightened. And so like as soon as you start talking to somebody about what's bothering you, even though the, the substance of that problem doesn't change, it suddenly becomes less less burdensome because you're not doing it alone anymore. And uh, to your point, like asking for help um, is extremely helpful. It's it's amazing. It's life changing, and uh, I would encourage everybody to to ask for help. Not necessarily from a professional like me, if that feels like oh, that's a bit of a step. Ask for help from your colleagues, from your friends, from your family members. Just any step you can take to change when you're feeling like you're you're sort of holding the burden all by yourself is a great step in the right direction. And Amanda, it's so sensible to think that big law firms or medium-sized law firms would want to offer employee assistance. They'll get more production out of their people. Their people will be happier, more centered, more balanced. Uh, Is this a trend as well? And is this something that you're hoping to see develop more and more with your help? That is an excellent point. Um, We are seeing more law firm engagement in these conversations. Now, what that looks like for the individual employee is a different question. So I am heartened to see law firms asking me or Sean or others to come in and talk about these issues. I love it. But I also heard from the other end of that is, you know, there were a lot of people who wanted to attend that talk, but couldn't because of their crushing requirement of work or billable hours. And so it's when we say there needs to be a culture shift, there needs to be a culture shift in every possible way. You cannot put more responsibilities on human beings who are drowning because of the number of responsibilities that they currently have. Mm. So It is going to be a feat, but it's one that needs to be addressed because we've got the 60% of vicarious trauma. We've got the 77% at um, burnout. We've got 42% of people who responded to that NORC survey reporting healthy and dangerous drinking. Then separately, we've got that um, recently they did a demographics report for the first time ever that the BBO had not been cataloging age, sex, et cetera, race. Almost half of the active attorneys in Massachusetts are 55 and older. So we are facing a very real issue in this profession. If you want human beings to be present, to represent someone who's in handcuffs, we got to change things. If you want someone to stand up and keep dangerous individuals in custody and not roaming your streets, we got to address this. If you want people to fight for the rights of people who deserve justice, we have to address this because we're seeing those real ramifications coming to light today. It's not just a conversation. It's a dwindling profession as a result of these problems. And so 
this is all, whether it's law firms that you asked about, whether it's um, committee for, for public counsel services, whether it's district attorney's offices, the attorney general's office, small firms, big firms, tr the trial court itself addressing this stuff, the clock is actually ticking and we need to change this whole culture. And I agree it's not going to be easy, but it is a necessity. Before we close out, Rebecca, because of what you've gone through and so many of us have gone through things, does this leave you with a greater sense of empathy for others you work with, for employees or for colleagues? And do you recognize similar <laughs> symptoms and uh, feel good about reaching out to help people at this point? Sure. I think um, I'm involved in a lot of so one of the things that I do to prevent burnout with myself is I'm very involved with the Women's Bar Association. And I have, we meet every week, every month, um, the Middlesex County uh, group. And I have a mentor group also through the Women's Bar. And that those uh, attorneys have provided me with an incredible amount of support to tell me, no, that's not okay. You don't need to deal with that uh, kind of behavior or that kind of environment. And so when someone is in our group that is also dealing with something that's not okay, um, or they're dealing with something that's really overwhelming, we can also communicate that to them and mm -hmm. give them the support that they need. It's an incredibly supportive group of women who are in a predominantly male field. And we need to be communicating to each other. Nope, that's not okay. Um, and here's uh, how I can support you if you'd like it. Um, and so not only does that make the person experiencing it give them support, but it also helps us feel better that oh, we might be helping. Thumbs up to that. Thumbs well. up to that. Before we close out, uh, Sean, would you talk a little bit about Lawyers Concern for Lawyers and, uh, you know, that particular mission on your part? And then we'll wrap up with Amanda giving us a review again of uh, the committee for the Mass Bar and what they're all about. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, Lawyers Concern for Lawyers is a lawyers assistance program in Massachusetts. We serve law students, lawyers, judges and legal professionals in Massachusetts. Uh, we're a free resource to the legal community because we're funded through a portion of bar dues. So we don't charge for any of our services. And we're also a confidential service. So anybody can come to us, talk confidentially about whatever's uh, on their minds, um, get resources, get referrals to um, helpful resources in the community for ongoing care. Um, we do ongoing groups, we do presentations. We, we try to be as helpful as possible. Um, and we have three main areas of service. We have recovery services, which are primarily peer-led groups for law students, lawyers, and judges in recovery or interested in being in recovery. We have law office management assistance, and that's like geared towards the practical bits of starting, running, and closing a law practice. And then we also have clinical services. And you can talk to a clinician, get uh, resources and, and suggestions about how to take care of yourself, how to make boundaries, how to address things like burnout and stress and uh, get connected to other people. I might add the website lclma.org for people who want to get that information. Amanda Rowan, at this point, let's have you summarize the Lawyer Wellbeing Committee of the Mass Bar Association 
People can find out more, of course, at massbar.org. But recap for me what it's all about and the work to come. Excellent. Thank you so much. So I just want to say um, that this is a very active committee. I love it. Um, I, I often complain about being on committees for the sake of being on committees and not actually getting much done. This is not one of those. We collaborate with Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. Uh, Dr. Healy is on our committee. We collaborate with the SJC Lawyer Wellbeing Committee. Um, Heidi Alexander, and also previously um, Gavin Alexander, who's no longer there, and we miss him terribly. Um, we're very, are very active parts of the MBA committee. We mesh with them where you don't even see the line between who's MBA and who's SJC. We are just L with LCL as well. We just really, it's funny, we have three letters, all of us, LCL, MBA, SJC, and we work together constantly. And it is so helpful because we get so much done. We are a committee that has done everything from programming during um, well-being week in law, which actually today is the last day of. We come up with ideas and we execute them. And that's everything from last night, Sean and I being on a panel together um, of lawyers in recovery. We also did that um, exact panel two years ago in 2021. It's the first time anyone's done anything like that. Um, and we did um, a couple of weeks ago, we tried to figure out how do we get back to community after COVID? We got to get back to community. And so someone in the group just came up with the idea. We need to put together in-person, live, um, casual coffee get-togethers during Lawyer Wellbeing Week. We floated it to all of the bar associations and organizations. People executed. They just made it happen. We just kept getting additions to the list. Hey, Norfolk wants to have one here. Hey, Hampton wants to have one here. Hey, uh, Lowell wants it. I mean, it was incredible. We just come up with ideas and we're not up against red tape and bureaucracy. We just do them. And I do just wanna put in a last minute um, comment all of the programming that we have done has been so incredibly well supported by the MBA. We have received every kind of support imaginable. You wanna put on this big breakfast with little notice for community and getting people together, great. They take care of the food, they take care of the everything. Oh, you wanna put on this program on Zoom with God knows how many people and registration needs to happen. And it was important to me that a lot of it was anonymous. And, you know, are we gonna record it? We were, I, I was all over the place for both of these. And at the MBA, it was just, tell me what you need. Tell me what you need. They have supported us as a committee since day one. And I am so grateful for that. We have, as I said, we have a wonderful group of people and I am so grateful to the MBA um, for just helping. Marianne LeBlanc is the other co-chair. She's amazing. She's the one who brought me into this in the first place and got me talking about all this stuff. But even the MBA people who, who aren't part necessarily of the program are also just so supportive of the mission and the cause. And um, Grace Garcia was on our committee before she became the president. So knowing that we have her support in everything that we do it's just amazing. We wouldn't have been able to do any of the things we've done if it weren't for them. Jordan, if I can just make a last minute, because we did talk about vicarious trauma and burnout and all that stuff. Asking for help, as we talked about, is huge. 
I am doing great. We are doing great. Recovery is possible. I have a lot of tools thanks to organizations like LCL. Therapy, all of it, we need to normalize it because we all, as deep and dark as we can get, there is absolutely a way out. And so I just want to leave on a positive that there is hope for anyone listening that feels like they are stuck or they are stuck in the quagmire of addiction, burnout, whatever, you name it. LCL is an incredible organization that is free and confidential, and you have probably pretty good health insurance if you want to go out and find it yourself. So thank you so much, Jordan, for giving us this opportunity. Sean, any final thoughts? Uh, my, my final thought is just to <laughs> encourage people to, to sort of get involved in, in something as simple as when you hear about a program being offered, attend it, right? Tell somebody else that you're attending. Sometimes it can feel like um, if you don't have an, a, a personal investment in a topic, then like you can't do much about it. But as an ally, you can do a lot about it particularly to, to destigmatize mental health issues and addiction and to encourage other people to, to get help. And a last word from attorney Rebecca Neal. Just that you can be a mom and a lawyer and happy and have a 40-hour work week. If you have a group of folks that you can talk to um, and that can support you, if you uh, work hard, like, um, like Amanda said, you know, therapy and um, being present with the challenges that are ahead of you, you can try and work it out slowly, but surely you'll get there. Um, there's a place for every attorney in the legal field um, for the skills that you want to use and the life that you, you want to live. And hopefully you can make it work. You just got to find your group that it's going to support you through it. Our thanks to Amanda Rowan, co-chair of the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Wellbeing Committee, to Dr. Sean Healy, clinical psychologist with Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers, and attorney Rebecca Green-Neal, who shared her story. We hope the information in this podcast has pointed you in the right direction if you're looking for help. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, if you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>